evening, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would teach us and instruct us that we might be those who truly search the Scriptures, uh, desire to, to know them, to know your heart and your mind, that we would understand that what the Apostle has said, that the Scriptures, the entirety of the Scriptures are for our, our benefit, for uh, our teaching, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. And so we ask that you would, would help us in these things, that you would cause us to be disciples, to be learners, to seek you in your word. And that doing that, it would not build us up, but it would build up the church, and it would glorify you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. In my preaching through Galatians, I came across a number, and the number is, is great, at least it seems to me some, some evenings when I meditate on the things in Galatians that Paul packed into that little book about our relationship to the law of, of God. And it, those questions, uh, I won't say haunt me, but there are things that I know that I do not understand. I know that there are a number of books, I have a number of books written, and they all have the same title, but they're by different authors. It's called Paul and the Law. People trying to research what Paul thought about the law. And again, keeping in mind what one of the authors has said, it's not enough to know what Paul said about the law, but we try to, to understand what Paul does with the law. How does Paul interact with people in his preaching about the law? I was intrigued this morning when our brother Aaron read from the uh, book of Numbers, that he introduced his reading by saying, I'm going to read from the law. And I think that is an accurate uh, way to describe, because I believe, even though we read a passage that perhaps in Paul's thinking, yes, all scripture is ordained for us and for our learning, but there are some scriptures that are more important than others. And yet we see the care that God gave in Numbers to teach us about the people of Israel, building up that salvation history, the revelation of God. But I think in Paul's mind, the law is not just as some try to push us into the moral law and the ceremonial law and so forth, but the law was the Pentateuch, the Torah, the the entirety of the five books of Moses, including the narratives, including the laws, but also the, the uh, history that we see, the biographies that we see of, um, that we're going through in Genesis. So I, I thought that was an accurate way to say he was going to read from the law. And yet, as 
Christians, at least, uh, again, from my point of view, I still wonder, on this side of the cross, knowing uh, probably more of the New Testament than the Old, I, I ask myself questions. What is the relationship between the grace of God in the gift of salvation, on the one hand, and the demand of God, on the other, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. That responsibility of man to the gift of God. Or, in keeping with things we studied in Galatians, if justification is not by works of the law, does doing or being without the law promote lawlessness? People who are, as we might surmise in Romans 6, Paul anticipates people saying, shall we, we sin more so that there will be more grace abounding? And of course his answer is, may it never be, but do we understand what he means when he says you are justified uh, not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ? But if we are still under the law, then does that compromise justification by faith alone? So I think that's the flip side of that other question. If we're not under works of the law, but under grace, does that promote sinfulness? Paul said to the Thessalonians, you receive from us instruction as how, to, how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. But did that instruction include following the law of Moses? Did it include the law of the Pentateuch? So what I hope to do, and this will be a short series uh, between now and the end of July, um, to investigate some of these Pauline phrases that we find, particularly in Galatians, but um, there are many that are echoed or there's parallel passages in Romans Phrases such as, what does it mean to be not under the law? Or what does it mean that someone is not walking according to the law? But we see Paul also using that a similar phrase when he says, what does it mean to be under the law of Christ? How does the law of Christ relate to the law of Moses? And so these are, are questions that I think that, that we ought to investigate, uh, not just for my academic exercise, but I, I want to know, uh, Paul being a Jew, Paul in fact saying there were time, was a time when he boasted of his Jewishness and he could rattle off his heritage and his background and all of these things, and yet we find him in 1 Corinthians 9, for example, saying, not myself being under the law. And it's kind of a, huh, moment, I think, for us. Paul, a Jew, now calling himself, saying, I am not under the law. So I would like to investigate some verses under that phrase, not under the law. And I, I think we see three things in the, the New Testament that Paul says that Jews are under the law. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew. And later in that same phrase, he says, to those who are under the law as under the law. There, there's a parallelism there. 
Jews are those who are under the law. So when he says, Jews, I became as a Jew, to those under the law, Jews, I became as a Jew, those under the law. He put himself, made himself under the law for that purpose of reaching the Jews, for his evangelistic outreach. And yet later, as we say, say we'll see that he himself says, I, but I myself am not under the law. In Galatians 4, Paul talks about the, the Jew is, is really identified as one who is a Jew by birth. If you are born a Jew, born as a descendant of Abraham, you are defined, and he defines even Jesus Christ in Galatians 4. He says that at that time, at the appointed time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is what marks out the Jew as a Jew, as the chosen people of God, being born under, as a Jew, you are born under the law. I see those as, as equal or parallel phrases that the Jews are under the law. But Paul, in Romans and Galatians, turns to the Gentile believers and says, you are not under the law. In Romans 6, this passage that we just read, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. There are those who look at this and say that, well, they are, were once under the law, but now they are not. And I don't think that that is the right way to look at that. Just because we, Paul says you are not under the law does not have to necessarily mean that you were under the law previous to that. And yet, we see that there is a freedom for the Galatian believers. They are not under the law. In Galatians 5, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, it's in that context of, for the, for the Spirit of God is against the flesh, and the flesh against the Spirit. And then he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, if you are those who are walking by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I think it makes it pretty clear that those who are in Christ, those who are led by the Spirit, those who walk according to the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul, again, as I say, says of himself, not being myself under the law, he says to the Corinthians, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He makes a distinction between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. I think that's clear. The law, he says, I am not under the law, not meaning that I'm not under the law of God, but I am under the law of Christ. And there is this idea of a replacement here. The, the law of Christ, I think, it equals the law of God, but it is distinguished from the law of Moses. And in Romans 14, where he um, exercises that um, right to, to try to explain this is how I live, this is how we ought to live, understanding that there are Christians who have come from a Jewish background and Christians who come from Gentile backgrounds and how we ought to interact as believers. He says in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Not these distinctions of, of what we eat, what we drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's as if he is trying to direct us to the, the law 
of Moses has a replacement. It, it is the law of Christ. And Paul looks at the law not as a law covenant, but as something that we have to understand how we come to it. What, what is the purpose for wanting to do the law? For Paul, law-keeping as a tradition or as a preference, I, I think he was indifferent. If someone said, this is the way we live, this is the way we were brought up, these are the activities that we do, I'm not sure that Paul would condemn them for that. As long as they do not impose that law on Gentiles as a religious observance, as something that is required for one who would be in Christ. I believe at base of it that Paul is looking to call us away from any confidence in the flesh. And law keeping is a doing. I don't think we can read the scriptures old or new testaments and come away with an idea other than the law is something that we are would be uh, talked of as being something that we do. So for a Jewish believer to be not under the law would be to, for them to understand there's been a transference from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You are transferred for, to a new realm, a different realm. And for both Jewish believers and Gentile believers alike, I think there is an assurance that faith in Christ breaks the power of sin, to which the law is an accomplice. If we read Romans 6 again, verse 14, for the law, the sin shall not be master over you. And so we see that in Romans 5, and I think 5, 6, and 7, not the, the sole content of what they teach, but we read this in chapter 5, and the law came in that transgression might increase. Not decrease, not be taken away, but it might increase. There are indications in Romans 6 and 7 that the law does not lead to life, but it leads to death. It doesn't lead to obedience or holiness, but instead leads to more sin. And in Galatians 3, I think we see it come... In, in that uh, mental picture that Paul gives us of the, of the uh, probation officer, the tutor, the, the, the one who would, would be to keep us in line. He says in Galatians 3, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. The law has an enslaving power. Uh, Galatians 3 and 4 are full of that language of enslavement, of, of power over us. And the, the law is like that probation officer to keep us under control, keep us under the power of itself. Until now that faith has come, he writes, we are no longer under the tutor. The conclusion, I believe, it's stated quite well by uh, Brian Rosner in his book on Paul and the law. He writes this, quote, If Paul himself is willing to live under the direction of the law, 
as marking out the historic people of God from the nations for the sake of the progress of the gospel, he is not willing to live under the domain of the law as law of covenant or legal code. Again, it's that what is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of wanting to keep the law? It, it, it's that, is it that we might attain, that we might present ourselves as worthy of being saved, as being able to come to Christ on our own. Paul was willing to live under the direction of the law, the things that it taught him about God, about his power, about his dominion, but he was not willing, I don't believe, as Rosner says, to live under the domain of the law as law covenant, as his legal code. I've heard it has been asked, um, and again, one of, the, one of those kind of startling things as a new believer years and years ago, um, is there a different path to eternal life for the Jew than there is for the Christian? And I think the, the scriptures do illustrate two paths of life. And let me explain before you all walk out. But in Galatians 3, Paul references, and it's also in Romans 10, he references Leviticus 18, verse 5. And Paul uses that as a summary of the law as law. It's at the beginning of Leviticus 18 through 20, the, the, the beginning, the, the foundation of what's called the holiness code. And it says, so you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live. If he does them, I am the Lord. It, it appears that he's saying, I hold before you this path. If you keep my statutes and my judgments, a man may live by those. And then in Leviticus 6, he says, but if you do not obey me, and he has a whole litany of things that he gives Moses to say, but he essentially is, I will set my face against you if you do not obey me. In the bulk of the Jewish writings that were referenced in the books that I have, this idea to live, a man may live, is equal to eternal life. He's not talking about just living in the land, just enjoying the fruits of the promised land, at least to my understanding, that the, the Jews, yes, they looked at that as, as a sign of the promise given, but it means eternal life. Eternal life made possible by keeping the law. And in the context of these, in, in Galatians 3 and Romans 10, the, the, the issues before them are life and death. It, it, it's not simply land, eating, drinking. It's life and death. The law was meant to lead to life. But what we see is that it leads to death. And the gift of eternal life is found in Christ and Christ Jesus alone. In Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, we're, we're confronted with that life and death. The, the, and what we see there is the failure of the law because it leads to a curse. He says in verse 13 of Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
So we have the life and death, and yet there's the curse of the law. But where is life? Well, it's found in faith. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27 in Galatians 3 in this section. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. There, there is to me what he's laying out here. There is a path. There is a path to life. There is a path to righteousness. But that path is a failure. It is a path that is put before them. Everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book to perform them will be under a curse. In Romans 10, he shows us the other path. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. There's the other path. But then he goes on in Romans 10, and you know the passage where he talks about how can they hear until they have a preacher. And what he's talking about is the word that we gave. He says, the word of faith which we are preaching. He does seem, at least again, to my understanding. He writes, for Moses writes that a man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, will live by that righteousness. But, but... Galatians 3, verse 21. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But he goes on to say, but it is not. It is based and found by faith in Christ alone. Paul is putting these two things at opposition to one another, not just trying to show us that the law is obsolete and a new era of salvation history has arrived, not just that the law marked off the people of God and now the new people of God uh, includes Gentile believers, not just that Paul's opposition to the law is that it doesn't it contain Christ, but he's trying, I believe, to show us that the law is, as a legal code, calls humans to do something to find life. But human sinfulness leads to death, and the law has failed. And that's what I believe that Paul is showing. He does use the law as direction in his life, but not as it's living under its dominion. And I believe that Paul anchors his understanding of that law, that law that would reach this point where humans would understand this idea that doing something to find life is a failed path. And I believe that it's prophesied clearly in the Old Testament Scriptures, and I'm going to read a few of them here, but if we follow them through, we see that in prophecy, these, this hope uh, that it is 
God trying to help us understand that human transgression will not meet God's requirement for righteousness. Jeremiah 31, one that you're probably very familiar with. He writes, But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was husband to them, declares the Lord. But this covenant which I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All of the people were to look for God's mercy and grace apart from the law. He says, my covenant which they broke. And if we go back into Deuteronomy and we look at that section which is called the Shema, you shall love the Lord with your, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He says in the following sentence, and these commandments which I am giving to you, to you today are to be on your heart. They were to be written on their hearts. They were to be on their heart and in, with their soul and with all their might they were to follow them but he says of them but you broke my covenant you broke my law they failed to keep God's statutes and ordinances the new covenant is not like the old covenant I truly believe that the new covenant supersedes the old covenant how that the law of God would not be written on tablets of stone, but it would truly be written on the tablets of the human heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we read these words. The problem that faced people in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36. God instructs Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. There's the problem. Israel had committed sin. They have profaned God's holy name. And in verse 25, he gives them the solution. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It is not up to man to do. But it is God who gives. God will do the work. And here we see a little glimpse into Galatians 3, I think. The Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. There's that walking in the Old Testament reflected in Galatians. The walking according to the Spirit. One more passage from Daniel chapter 9. 
Daniel acknowledges there is a problem. In verse 13 of Daniel 9, he says, as it, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. He, he acknowledges what was prophesied, that the, the law would be given, but they would not keep it, that they would struggle with it, that they would rebel against him, they would fail to keep his ordinances. And he, he acknowledges this national transgression has brought calamity upon the people and yet, his hope, again, in God and what God would do. Listen to the words of Daniel. Oh, my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. I believe Paul's hope is not in his ability to keep the law or even preach the law in all of its uh, manner, all of the way in which it was written, whether we talk of moral law or, or um, any of those distinctions of the law. I believe he would point us to the hope that is in God and God alone, that we would stand as Daniel says, we do not come to you and supplicate you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. Without the mercy and grace of God, who could stand? We come to Christ by faith and faith alone. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would help us again as, as we seek to study these things Seek to understand these things. Seek to understand what we see in the Old Testament and how it connects to the New. Thank you that you have helped us greatly by giving us the Scriptures that we might see the progress of salvation. We might see that, that thread uh, that leads us back to the Lord Jesus Christ as being prophesied as the one who would save His people from their sin. And yet, Father, we, we struggle to, to understand, we struggle to, to keep going, to, to deepen our understanding. But also, Father, we, we ask that not only to have this understanding, but you would teach us to worship. Please, uh, please teach us to worship you in spirit and truth, that we may truly glorify and praise your name. In Christ's name we ask that you would do these things. Please rise for the benediction from Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.